morning, Faith Community Church. We are back walking through the New Testament. I'm Jason here with Pastor Caleb. Today we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And right at the beginning of, of the chapter, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. And then he goes on to write to them. <laughs> uh, why say that and then write to them? Yeah. You know, it's important to understand that when, when we're reading Scripture, oftentimes we're reading things that we already know. Um, we're reading things that we've been taught. Um, we are, we're meant to read and reread Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the reason that it's important for Paul to write to them things that he already taught to them is, one, so it can be preserved, um, so that they can read it, other people can read it, we can read it today. But then secondly, we need constant reminders. Yes. Um, and he's talking here specifically uh, about the day of the Lord, about Jesus' return. And he, he gives the impression that he's already sort of given them some rigorous teaching about this, that he's explained to them that what's of most importance, which is, you don't know. Hmm. You don't know. When is Jesus coming? You don't know. We need to be reminded constantly we don't know. Because what happens is in our minds, we start looking at the world around us and calculating. We, we start thinking, oh, maybe I can do the math and figure <laughs> out when Jesus is coming back. And so he says, you already know this, but you need to be reminded. You don't know when Jesus is going to come back. Right. So we don't know when the day of the Lord is, but Paul does some comparison uh, in this chapter to say the day of the Lord is like yeah. what are some of those things he compares it to. So there, there's four comparisons here, um, and two of them are comparisons that Jesus made. So first thing he says, it's going to come like a thief in the night, and that's something that Jesus constantly shared. Um, when is Jesus coming back? We don't know. Yeah. It's going to, like, you don't, you don't make an appointment with a thief. Hey, is Monday <laughs> at 12 good for you, right? No, it's not. You don't plan it out. Um, the next thing he says, he said, like, sudden destruction in the midst of peace and security. He says, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. What he's saying is, this is at a time that you absolutely don't expect it. You're thinking, you're finding your peace, you're finding your security here on earth, and then all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under you. That's what the coming of the day of the Lord is going to be like. Mm -hmm. Um, The third comparison is also one that Jesus made. He compares it to labor pains. Um, Have... I have six children, and through those different pregnancies, my wife and I, we never knew. We never knew what, <laughs> when that day was going to... And it's like, it gets closer and closer. There's like this expectation, but there's also this sense where like, you have to just be ready any day, any hour, any moment to, to just have to go to the hospital. Now, the last comparison he makes, he says, they will not escape. Um, the coming of the day of the Lord isn't going to be something that like, you can see him coming and you can get on your knees and repent right away. Um, it's not going to be something where it's like, oh, you know, I wasn't ready. Let me get ready really quick. Hmm. That's not how it works, right? Right. Um, if, if somebody comes over to your house and you're going to go somewhere with them and you're not ready, you know, you have a few minutes to get ready. That's not how this works. You can't escape. When when he comes, it is too late. You need to be ready in advance. If you're not ready in advance, you will not be able to get ready last minute. Right. And so as we are, are preparing ourselves and, and getting ready, how we... How we live is, is different. And so mm-hmm. Paul uses some, some language here and he says, look, you're not in the dark, but you are children of light and children of the day. Mm. What does he mean by that? So he's, he's building this right out of this readiness that we need to have. Um, he's describing people who are aware that Jesus is returning as, as children of the light, people who are living in the daylight. And what that means is we're aware 
that there is a reality that's unseen. Mm. And we expect Jesus' return because we're aware of that reality that is unseen. So first thing that he explains about children of the light is they're not surprised at Jesus' return. They're expecting Christ to be to return. The next thing he d- does is he says they're self-controlled. They're self-controlled. That, that's interesting. Like I, I was meditating. What does that mean that because I'm expecting Christ to return tomorrow, I'm self-controlled today, right? Like how, how is it that my expectation of a future event shapes my present reality? And, and what I realized is what I'm looking forward to about heaven is that's going to be the fulfillment of all of my desires. You know, the psalmist says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're going to get to experience those pleasures one day. And so when I'm tempted to try to find satisfaction here, I can have some self-control. Right. I can forego those pleasures because I realize that's really not what my appetite is for. Really what I'm longing for is heaven. And so that longing for eternity can help me to have have self-control here. Then the, the way I exercise that self-control, he describes it as putting on the armor of faith and love. Um, and then he says, and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so I, I need to be sort of every day arming myself with this remembrance of I'm somebody who walks in faith. That's what I describe as abject dependence. I'm walking in dependence on God and not myself. My trust is in him and not me. My life is defined by the love that the Holy Spirit's shedding abroad in my heart. And everything that I do is framed in this expectant Hope, the hope of salvation. It's interesting when scripture talks about salvation, there's past, present, and future. This, when it talks about the hope of salvation is is future, that when he comes, I'm going to be saved. I have been saved because I've confessed my sins, but I know that when I stand before him on that final day, I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be given entrance, and I have that expectation. I have that hope. And that's what it means to, to live as a child of the light. The last thing he does is he says, and you build each other up. Right. And it's really easy to sort of get distracted with my armor and my focus and everything I'm supposed to do and make our salvation very personal. But our salvation actually is actually communal. It's meant to be shared. I'm meant to turn to the right and to the left and look at my brothers and sisters on either side of me and encourage them as well. Hey, I have my armor on. Right. How can I encourage you to put your armor on? It's that whole like oxygen mask on the airplane, right? <laughs> you get yours on and then what do you do? You turn and you help the other people who are around you. Right, which is which is totally contrasting with, with the children of the night who are focused on mm. themselves and what do they want? Everything is about me. Let yeah. me put the oxygen mask on me. And then if I have time, you know, I might help some other people. Like, we, no, we need to, to, to help, I guess. Mm. You do it opposite on the airplane, though. Yeah. <laughs> help others before you help yourself, or help yourself before you help others. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think for us as as believers, having that constant like outward focus is is really important. Mm. And that's that's sort of what Paul flows into next, and he's saying like, look at the people around you, and and what are some things that they need. And so he starts out in verse twelve, and he says, "Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition." And who does he want him to give recognition to? He, he says, give recognition specifically to those who labor among you. Um, and it's interesting how often this comes up in Paul's epistles, because we've had a conversation about this before. We, we have. You know? <laughs> um, and it's this idea that Paul wants to constantly impress upon the church that your leaders are not superhuman. 
Um, they're not somehow at a higher level where they've transcended their need for the community. They need mm. it just as much. And so he says, recognize those who labor among you. And that word, that word labor right there, it, it denotes all sorts of modes of Christian service. Um, from the people who are showing up and they're taking care of our grounds here at our church, to the people who are ministering to the homeless, the people who are evangelizing the lost, the people who are teaching Sunday schools, the people who are in the nursery. We need to be giving recognition to those people. And that's the opposite of taking them for granted. Right. And so we make sure that we're giving recognition to the people who are, are laboring among us. Yeah, and... and- Paul sort of does the, the sandwich where he says, you know, recognize those who are doing good. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, comes in and says, but not all of you are good all right. the time. And so they, we need to, to warn mm-hmm. a certain group of people. Yeah. So it's, it's so important to um, not think that, okay, you know, Christianity means niceness, right? <laughs> um, there's, there's people who, who need to be warned in, in, in our midst. Um, and he says specifically in verse 14, warn those who are idle. That's weird, right? Like yeah. it seems like he'd say warn the wicked. Yeah, Which, yeah the, the wicked need to be warned, but what he says is warn the idle. And, and we need to be careful here because there's a form of warning that's like, dude, like you need to get your act together. You need to be a better Christian. This, that's not how we're supposed to warn the idle. We warn the idle. We, we let them know your muscles are atrophying. Mm. Like you're going to be miserable if you just sit there and you do nothing your whole life. God made you to get out there and to serve, and you're not going to find any pleasure not doing that. So this isn't like this, like, oh, you you evil Christian, you better do better. It's this isn't who you are. Right. This isn't going to satisfy. You want to serve. God made you to serve. You're not going to be satisfied in this. So this this warning that I'm I'm giving to the idol isn't. It's not shaking the finger. It's beckoning with the hand. Right. And yeah. that distinction is so important. Yeah. And I think it's it's important that this flows from Paul's discussion on children of light and saying mm. like, look, let this is this is who we are yeah. as believers. Like we're a part of something bigger, something greater than ourselves. We're part of a, a global church, a movement, and let's 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 do this together. Yeah. And when someone is being idle, yeah, like there's you know, there's there's the two approaches we could have and Paul is calling us, hey, look, let's let's lend a helping hand and let's let's motivate to get them back on the right track. I, I think that we need to make sure that we're never warning from frustration. Mm. Um, when you warn from frustration, that's that's not the spirit that we have inside of us. Right. We we have spirits that are gentle, peaceable. Um, that's the wisdom that's from above. It's willing yeah. to yield. And so we're we're not warning from frustration. We're warning from fullness. Like <laughs> it's such a blessing yes. for me to be able to serve. I want to invite mm. you into the my into that fullness. And then as Paul continues this this writing, he's it's it's really sort of. He wants us to be looking around the church mm-hmm. and to see all the different needs. And so yeah. next he says, uh, we're to comfort who we're we supposed to comfort. He says, comfort the discouraged. And this is such an important distinction to make because you can misinterpret idleness. Um, for, you, you can misinterpret discouragement for idleness. Right. You know, sometimes the person's sitting there on the sidelines because they've been pushed to the sidelines. 
Um, they've been trying to serve and they've been pushed away. Um, they've been prevented. They've been devalued. And so you need to make this distinction, and that requires you to have a conversation. Right. Um, sometimes we can become judges with evil intentions. We, When we are looking at a believer, we're looking at somebody who Jesus lives inside of. And what that means is, is they do have desires to serve. So what's the root cause of, of their lack of, of service? Is it because they're just discouraged, we need to encourage them, I need your gift. Yeah. I need what Christ has placed inside of you. You are a blessing to me. And so we, we make that distinction. Are they just being idle because they're lazy? Are they being idle because they've tried and they are crushed down with the weight of Christian service because it can be exhausting and we need that encouragement. And so I have to make that distinction. Right. And then he goes on, he says, to help, help the weak. Yeah. So, so some people... They, they get worn out because they're just not spiritually strong. Yeah. They don't have that endurance yet. And that takes time, that takes training, that takes encouragement. And so how I help the weak is I come alongside them and I figure out what are the ways that they have misunderstandings? What are the ways that they don't realize what they do have? What are ways that they are weak that I can address in my conversation with them, which requires me really to go to go deep in my conversation to figure out what's the root cause of why you're sitting on the sideline, right? right? And it's so important that, that we are considering Considering one another, how to stir each other up to love and good works. And when does that happen? When we fellowship. This is why we gather. The point of our weekly gathering is for this. And as a right. matter of fact, I, I would go so far to say, like, if you are not um, warning the idle, comforting the discouraged, and helping the weak when you assemble together, you're not assembling together. So you mean I can't just come and sit in my chair, not talk to anyone, leave, go to my car? I don't know what you're doing if you do that, but it's not going to church, <laughs> right? If you come to church, you are engaging with other people because the body can't have any single part that has a tourniquet on it, mm. right? Every single part does its part. And so what that means is we consider one another how to stir each other up to love and good works. And so some of those conversations can be a little bit superficial. Sometimes we have to have a surface conversation before we can go to the deeper conversation, right. but they're all intentional. So they can be at times superficial, but it's with that that intention of getting to the point where I can figure out what makes Jason tick and how can I encourage him? How can I exhort him to love and good works? We should leave Sunday mornings encouraged more because of the conversations that we had with each other than anything else. Right. So if I come on this Sunday and I'm, you know, giving recognition to those who are laboring, I'm, I'm warning those who are idle, I'm comforting those who are discouraged and helping the weak, and, and then I come back the next week and there's still weak, discouraged <laughs> uh, people that need warning, they're lazy. Is, I mean, should I expect everything to change, or, or what does Paul say here? You're always needed. It's like, <laughs> when does my heart need to stop beating? Right. Right? Like, when does my blood need to stop flowing? Um, that needs to be constant. Like if my blood's not flowing, what what happens to um, like you know if I don't have blood flow in my fingers, if there's something cutting off, like eventually the, the finger can die. It constantly and what's that blood doing? It's bringing nutrients and it's cleansing, bringing nutrients and cleansing. That's what we do in conversation. So conversation constantly happens, and it's not like we need to put the entire weight of First Thessalonians five right here on our shoulders every <laughs> single Sunday. It's just we're having. We might just have one conversation where we encourage somebody to. Right. And that might be that that whole Sunday, um, but but make sure that you are 
you're having a mindset that's looking, that's looking for opportunities to be a blessing to the people around you in the conversations that you have. Yeah, and I think that's that's the key is that Paul wants us, if we're looking outward, we're looking for these things. And then he ends this section with, with saying we should be patient mm. with everyone. Right? Yeah. And that's sort of that you know, allowing grace yeah. uh, with people who are... A, weaker or discouraged or a little bit idle yeah like we are, we're patient with them yeah we should we should never think that um you know somebody's gonna instantaneously change i have a conversation <laughs> with them and then like do 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 like everything work. changes you right. know um you know maybe like they'll be a little bit encouraged but then life right right <laughs> and so the next week they're gonna need some more encouragement and sometimes it feels like when you're encouraging people it's like um, one step forward, two steps back. Three steps forward, two steps back. You know? Yeah. Um, and so we we need to make sure we also have people in our life that speak encouragement to us because it can be discouraging to try to encourage other people. Right. Um, but Scripture tells us don't grow weary in doing good. And we can even see this in in the last two of Paul's letters that we've mm. gone through. Like there's different tones, and Paul is, you know, in Galatians he has one tone, and he's trying to encourage, like, let's go, guys, like. Come, come with me. And in First Thessalonians, he's like, you know, you guys are you're doing a lot of this stuff. I'm encouraged by your works. And that's just, it's, in some ways, it's us at different f- phases of mm. our spiritual walk where we need people to, to practice all of these things and, and always be patient with us. Yeah. And so uh, verses, verse 16, it starts, he says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 19, he says, Don't stifle the Spirit, mm-hmm. capital S. What is that? Paul yeah. About? So um, the Holy Spirit is constantly convicting me and encouraging me as well, mm-hmm. right? And it, it's important to realize that even a conversation that somebody else has with me can be the Holy Spirit encouraging me, warning me. So like spiritual conversation uh, means that the the Spirit can be prompting me to say something to you to encourage you. So my conversation with you can actually be the Holy Spirit encouraging you. But also at times, we're we're just going through our life and the Spirit convicts us. Maybe you're sitting and and you're listening to the sermon on Sunday and the Spirit convicts you of something. Mm. Or maybe you're just reading Scripture and the Spirit convicts you of something. And that could be something um, positive or negative. And what I mean by that, it could be a sin of omission or commission. So it could be something that you're not doing that the Spirit's convicting you that you need to do, right? Ah, man, that, that neighbor next door. I know I need to reach out to them. I know I need to show Christ's love to them. I know I need to, to witness to them. That coworker, like I can see they're struggling. I know they need Jesus. I'm the only Christian in their life. Ah, i really convicted I need to talk to them. Right. Don't stifle that. Like, don't <laughs> ignore that. Because what happens if we ignore that is we get really good at ignoring that. Yeah. The more that you ignore the spirit, the easier it becomes. And that should be the scariest thing for believers is being able, is developing abilities to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's such a blessing to have the spirit convicting me. And and the reason it's a blessing is because the spirit doesn't convict by guilt. The spirit convicts by identity. And what I mean by that is the Spirit's not going to come to me and speak condemnation. That's what the enemy does. Right, right. The Spirit is reminding me, Caleb, this is who you are. You are somebody that I've created to share the gospel. You're somebody I've created to shine the light of God's word. You're somebody that I've created to serve others. You're somebody that I've created to love other people. He convicts me from identity instead of condemning me for who I'm not. And making sure you're distinguishing between that, don't stifle the Spirit when He's reminding you who you are. Right. 
but do ignore the accuser of the brethren who's trying to convince you that you're not saved. Yeah. Always ignore that voice because that's not the spirit. Right. And so I think one of the things for us as as believers, as we're as we're maturing in our faith, is is you know what is what is from God and what mm. is not from God. And and here Paul says, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. How, how, why and, and how do we test all, all these things? Yeah. So in, in their church, you know, the early church, they would have had people um, who were prophets and they're standing up and they're sharing. And like not every single person, just because they stand up and they say they're a prophet and they're sharing, <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that they are, right? And so what they're supposed to do is constantly be checking what is heard against God's word. Right. Now, in our church today, we don't have people who are prophets on Sunday standing up and sharing, but we do have a proclamation of truth, and that needs to be constantly checked against God's word. Is this from the Lord, or is this man's idea? Is this, is this what God is telling us we should be doing with the church, or is this man's ideals? And so we're making a distinction there. We're taking everything and we're holding it up to the light of God's word. Right. And it's so important to make a distinction between somebody who's saying, hey, this is true, and the prophetic word made sure. That's the only thing you can be confident of as absolute truth. No human being can come to you and say, what leaves my lips is God's truth. But when we read God's word, yeah. we can know it's God's truth. And so every time you hear a sermon, every time you have a brother or sister come alongside you, you take what they say and you hold it up to God's word and test what's true. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of us, we like to test it, not against God's words, mm-hmm. but against our emotions or yeah. our thoughts. And that gets us into to major, major trouble. Mm-hmm. So in these these last few verses, Paul, you know, just sort of throws things on that could have entire letters written on them (laughs) (laughs) themselves. We could do not just a podcast on it, but a whole sermon series on, on some of these things. So we'll just, we'll go, we'll go quickly. But uh, one of my favorite things about the gospel and, and how God works is it's, it's not about my works to get Mm -hmm. saved. And then it's also not about my works to sanctify me, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes we think that I'm saved by grace, but now I need to to pick up the hammer, I need to get to work on my own life, I need to get rid of the sin, I need to do this, I need to become a better person. Paul says here, who is it that, that sanctifies us? He says, the God of peace himself, in verse 23, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what's interesting is if you think about that, he's saying that at the list of this laundry list of do's, right? He's just gone through this whole list of do this, do this, do this, do this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And so I am wholly passive and wholly active right? Yeah. in my it's sanctification, like, right? It's that, explain wor- that for us. work out your salvation <laughs> with fear and trembling because it is God right. who is working in you, right? John 15, Jesus says, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? right? right. Um, Paul says we have this treasure in earthen vessels so the excellencies of the power may be of God and not of us. So there's this, this reality where I am walking in abject dependence. And that, that abject means I can't do anything apart from you. I need you completely. You're the one who sanctifies, right? right? So God does all the work of sanctification. But what I do is I... I depend on that abjectly. I depend on him to sanctify me, which means I open my mouth when I see somebody needs encouragement, needs to be warned. It means that when the Spirit's convicting me, I move my feet 
I open my lips. I, I react. I work out my salvation. Why? Because God is working. And so I'm working it out, but I'm depending upon him for the strength, the motivation, right? Because right. it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. He's working in your, your will. He's working on your desire, and he's working in you to do, the power to do what he's calling you to do. And so, so how, how do we do that? If, if I feel like I'm trying to, to sanctify myself in my mm. own power and I'm like, okay, I know the answer is not to get over this, this funk I'm in or this, this valley that I'm in. I know the answer is not to depend on myself. But what, are some, what, is, what is maybe one thing we could do to, to help get the focus mm. on Christ to make sure that we're doing it from a, a right place? Yeah. You know, um, faith works through love. And I, I think that oftentimes when I fall into the trap of, uh, of ought, right? I ought to be doing this, but I really don't feel like doing this. It's because I am not dwelling in the love of Christ. We're supposed mm-hmm. to abide in his love. Right. And what I mean by that is um, if I'm working to qualify myself, it's my strength. If I'm working because I am just blown away at his love for me, it's a response that's done in dependence upon him. Um, my faith is enabled by his love for me. Um, and so what I challenge people to do, you know, if you're really struggling with ministry burnout, if you're really struggling with exhaustion, get away and be alone with the one who loves you the most. Mm. Spend some time with Jesus meditating on his love for you. You know, the, the one who's Forgiven much is the one who loves much. All of Christian service, all of the works that we're called to is simply love. And when I'm when I'm not, that love is not flowing forth in my heart through the Holy Spirit who's given me, I really think the problem, what's stopping it, is I'm not abiding in his love. Right. I'm not staying in that place where I am just fully, fully loved. Even when I'm struggling, he's not looking at me and being and thinking, wow, you're you're struggling. I don't love you as much right now. Right? <laughs> right. God is, he is in love with us, right? He sings his love over us. Th- these descriptions of God's love, you know, he's lavished his love on you. Um, I need to stay there. I need to abide in that. That's where my strength comes from. That's where my faith comes from. Faith works through that love. And so I challenge people when they're like, I just don't feel like doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You're not abiding in his love. Right. That's the problem. You're really not believing that he loves you as much as he does because our work and our strength and our faith all flows from that. So just get with Jesus. Yeah. Just spend some time with Jesus, letting him love on you. That's what he wants. He wants right. you to let him love you. And part of his love for you is working through you, is operating through you. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who gives us. And we have to believe God's word when it describes these things, instead of thinking this is describing an ideal that is not realized in my life, he's describing an ideal that he has already realized in my life. Yeah. And so I have to believe his word. I have to believe his love. And if, if I'm believing those things, then my faith will be strengthened. Yeah, it's something that we, we understand really well mm-hmm. with our closest earthly relationships, yeah. like with my closest friends or with, with my wife. I don't need a list of like, okay, here's all the things I need to do to be a good friend today. Mm-hmm. I, know I just like, let's, let's just hang out. Like, let's just be together. Let's, let's share with each other. And there's this, sometimes for some of us, there's a, a block that prevents us from doing that from God. Yeah. And it's, it's on our end. But, you know, if we could just go back to what you said and just abide and just remember who God is 
and who we are because of him, out of that flows the life that we're supposed to live. Yeah, I, I love that that illustration because I think what we fall into oftentimes is we think of our relationship with God as like a professional relationship. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> and I, it's a romantic relationship. And romantic relationships are very organic. Right. You know? Um, like, you, when was the last time you sat down with your wife and you asked her to write out some smart goals for you? <laughs> you know? Like, hey, like, Never. let's make it, let's make it yeah. specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and timely. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> right? Like, um, like you, you, did, when was the last time you asked your wife to give you a performance review? <laughs> you know, those things don't happen. And that this is that's our relationship with God. It's not a professional relationship. Right. We're his children. He yeah, loves yeah. us. We're his bride. He he washes us with the water of his word. We need to understand um, the dynamics of the relationship that we have with Jesus it really changes the way that we serve him. Right. So, so speaking of love, uh, should we be kissing each other in church? Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's so important to understand that, that this is written to a, a culture, right? right? And how you show loving affection in this culture is with a holy kiss, right? right? Um, but what, why is this in here, right? If it's cultural, why is it preserved? Mm-hmm. Like, why did God decide this is going to be part of my inspired word? Well, if all of Scripture is profitable, then this is profitable. So him telling the church to greet each other with a holy kiss is profitable, that what he's explaining here is that we should have a loving, friendly greeting for each other in the church. Right. Um, there's there's a scriptural precedent for us to be showing through our actions that we love each other, right? And so whatever that is, you know, I'm a hugger, so I'm going to greet you with a holy hug, yeah. right? And what, what does it mean that, the, that there's a holy hug? It means that, that it's empowered and it's motivated by the spirit who lives inside of me. Right. And so I need to understand that if I'm like, well, I'm just sort of a grouchy person. I don't like to greet people. No, you're not in Christ. You have holy affection for people, and that holy affection needs to come out. Right. And yeah, that, that is, there, there are personality issues that play into that, but we need to understand there's never a place for a spirit-filled believer to be unfriendly. Mm. Um, we all, we all have, we all want to. This is who we are. We all want to greet each other in a friendly way that sh- communicates the love of Christ with our face, with our our hand reached out, our you know holy high five, whatever it is that right, you do right. to show a friendly greeting. That's who you are in Christ. And so abiding in his love results in an overflow of love that's manifest in very practical ways, like a greeting, like, how are you doing today? You, that, that communicates the love of Christ right. when we just greet each other. Yeah. That counts on Sundays. That counts. All right. <laughs> so we don't, we don't have to kiss each other. No. But no. we have to be friendly and affectionate toward each other. Yep. Awesome. So the last the last question I have for you, verse 27 says, I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. And so Paul wants this letter not to just be read by one church, mm. one elder, like but what does he want done with it? What what he's showing is that he's he is raising his letter to the level of scripture that needs to be read aloud in in church. Um he's saying he, he recognizes, and you can see throughout Paul's epistles, comments that he'll make where he recognizes what he's writing is the inspired word of God. And this comment right here shows us he sees this as the inspired word of God. This needs to be read aloud in every church. We need to have it for today. We need to read God's word aloud mm. in our church services. It's so important that, that that read aloud continues to happen. If if you ever attend a church and you don't hear scripture read aloud in that in the sermon, in the service at some point, 
that's not a church. <laughs> uh, the church is dedicated to scripture and they will read it aloud as they assemble together. That makes their gathering effective. So there's so much that he says here that is talking about making our gathering effective. We're considering each other. We're greeting each other. We're reading God's word together. This is why we gather on a Sunday. Cool. Well, we've uh, had a, a good conversation. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Maybe is there, I have to, I don't know, summarize or just pick out one key thing. What's what's a challenge that we could start today mm. uh, from First th- Thessalonians 5? You know, I just want to challenge the church this Sunday. Be intentional. Mm. Be intentional. Be thinking about it. Be praying about it as you drive to church on Sunday morning. Think about, Lord, give me a gospel opportunity today. Give me an opportunity to connect spiritually with somebody else. It, it could be a friendly greeting. It, yeah. it could be a conversation just to get to know somebody better. But think intentionally about having conversations on Sunday that will resonate in eternity. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you back tomorrow as we start Second Thessalonians. Thank you so much.